So good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Sue, and I am part of the leadership team here. And it's my great privilege to be speaking to you today in our series about regions beyond values. If this is the first time that you've been with us, you are extremely welcome today. Um, Reaches Beyond, it is the global family of churches that we are part of. And throughout October, our churches right around the globe have been joining in with this preaching series. So today, I want to read from Acts 16, verses 6 to 10. It says Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is living and active. I thank you that it is applicable to us today, just as it was applicable to Paul and his companions in these places with great long names. Father, I I pray now you will help me as I speak. You will help everyone here, everyone watching online, to be able to listen for your glory, Holy Spirit. Amen. So Dan and Phil, as they've been preaching this month, they've already mentioned this passage a couple of times. Um, But today we're going to look a bit more at Paul, at his call to go, and also how that applies to us, normal people, not apostles, not not disciples, just you and me here in Hull in 2023. I first came to Hull in 1986. Now, I know a few of you weren't born then, but um, I came here for an interview at Hull University. I arrived back at Lime Street Station in Liverpool. My mum met me on the platform and I said, I'm going to Hull. Now, my mum did the sensible mum thing and said, you can't say that yet, Sue. You've got to wait. You've got to go to your other interviews. You've got to see if Hull give you an offer. But I knew right back then in 1986, I was coming to Hull because on that day, I had fallen in love with this city. 11 months later, I did come to Hull for four years. I had my life mapped out, I had my career planned, but during those four years, my passion for this city and my desire to see Jesus made known in this city grew. That was 36 years ago. Um, I'm going to share a bit more about my story, but let's first of all focus on the Bible. 
So in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, after Jesus' resurrection, it says, Then Jesus came to them, that is the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then, just before Jesus returned to heaven in Acts 1, he told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The call to go is not something unique to regions beyond. Yes, it is one of our values, but it isn't just for us. Jesus said it was needed, and Jesus promised that his believers would be equipped. John Piper, an American theologian and writer, stated that mission exists because worship doesn't. We are to go and share the good news about Jesus, to make disciples, to see lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, because there are not yet enough people on this planet worshipping Jesus. And we need to go and make disciples, because the Bible says that Jesus will not come again until the gospel has been preached to the very ends of the earth. And I don't know about you, but I really am longing more and more that Jesus would come again and put an end to this chaos that we see all around us on the globe in these days. So in today's passage in Acts 16, we have a very brief summary of the start of Paul's second missionary journey that happened around AD 49 to 51, less than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul had already been preaching the gospel in cities like Jerusalem and Antioch, taking it and growing the churches in the area. But on his second missionary journey, he went further with a small team of leaders with him into an area that we would now call Turkey. His technique was quite straightforward. He preached the gospel, he established churches, he put leadership in place, and then he moved on to the next place. And then he continued his support by writing to the the churches. So, for example, in this passage, we hear that he travels through Galatia. And in our Bibles now, we have letters to the Galatians. So they were the people in the churches that he was establishing. So we're told in this passage that Paul and his companions, they reached the border of Mysia, they tried to go north, but then we're told the spirit of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to. So they went south to Troas, which was a very important city near the ancient city of Troy, but the Holy Spirit stepped in again. Paul wasn't to go there, he wasn't to establish a church there, Instead, we read that a man of Macedonia appeared to Paul in a dream, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So again, they're being led supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Paul's good idea. He didn't just think, where shall we go tomorrow? Who do we think needs to hear the gospel? They were being led 
by the Holy Spirit. Their response was, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is really significant. Going to Macedonia meant that they were going over the sea into Europe, an unknown place, no contacts there, under Roman occupation, a land of many gods, a land of many idols, a land that was being governed by a cruel, um, a cruel empire. Would they be safe? How would they manage financially? Would they return home? When would they return home? I'm sure they had many more questions. But what we do know is that those questions didn't matter because they recognized the call of God. They got ready at once and they obeyed. In Acts chapter 9, a few chapters before, we have the story of Paul's earlier life when he was a devout Jew and actually called Saul. The chapter begins saying, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Those belonging to the way, they were believers. They were the people that were committed to Jesus who had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Saul was intent on stopping the spread of this new belief in Jesus. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death and were told at the start of Acts 8 that he approved of his murder. So we have this man intent with hatred for Christians wanting to wipe them out. But chapter 9, it continues in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Jesus literally stopped Saul in his tracks. For three days, God spoke to him and he was blind. And then God spoke to a believer named Ananias, told Ananias where Saul was living and said, go there, pray for him and he will be healed. Now, Ananias wasn't too keen on this idea and told God so. And I don't know about you, but if I had someone who was hating me for my faith, someone who wanted to kill me for my faith or for any other reason for that matter, I wouldn't be too keen on going along to that person's house, knocking on the door and saying, hi, I'd like to pray for you for healing. I wouldn't do it. But... Ananias knew God was speaking to him. He obeyed, and the passage continues. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul sent, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. 
At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. We don't know what happened in those three days while Saul was blind, but we do know from verse 6 that God was going to tell him what he was to do. Saul's life was utterly, utterly transformed, so much that even his name changed to Paul, which meant humble. He was utterly changed from destroying believers to birthing new believers, from wanting them dead to wanting more and more alive. No longer was he trying to silence the gospel, but he started spreading it immediately. Paul writes in Philippians 3 about only boasting in Jesus Christ, and he says, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But... Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying here that the only thing that mattered to him was knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. Humanly, he had so much that he could put his confidence in. But he says none of it mattered once God had called him. His roots, his heritage, his title, his achievements, his reputation, things internal, things external. Paul no longer relied on any of these things. In fact, he regarded them as garbage, or the ESV version says rubbish, the message says dog dung. You might want to say something else. It's not simply knowing Jesus Christ that made this incredible turnaround in Paul's life, but that Jesus Christ became his Lord. As Saul was going on the road to Damascus and was blinded, he called out, Who are you, Lord? And over and over in his letters, he starts by saying, grace and peace to you, as he's writing to the different churches, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul isn't using Lord as a title or as we might call somebody Sir. Jesus Christ as Lord means submission. It means surrender. It means obedience Paul was acknowledging Jesus' divine nature and his sovereign power. Philippians 2, it speaks of Jesus being fully God, yet fully man, and that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, for the glory of God the Father." It was because Paul knew Jesus Christ as Lord that human praise meant nothing to him. It was because Paul knew Jesus Christ as Lord that he was willing to leave his position and power and literally be called humble. It was because Paul knew Jesus Christ as Lord that when on his second, second missionary journey, when the spirit of Jesus spoke and said, stop, you're not going in that direction, he was able to say, okay, God, I obey. 
And when the Holy Spirit spoke again and said, you're to go to Macedonia, he and his team were willing to go straight away. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says there, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can all know forgiveness. We can know peace with God. We can have absolute assurance that our relationship with a holy God is restored again. That's what being a Christian is about. And if you don't have that total confidence today, then please come to the front at the end. And one of the team would love to talk to you and share with you how you too can be a Christian, how you too can have peace with God. But if you're already a Christian today, yes, we have a gospel of transformation. We have that gospel of peace and of hope. But I want to ask you today, is Jesus your saviour and Lord? Or is he your saviour and you're living your life? What is your response when God says stop? When he says go? Do you willingly go? My eldest son said to me on Sunday, on Friday, what what are you preaching on, Mum? And I said, the call to go. He looked at me and he said, but Mum, you've lived in Hull for 25 years. I said, David, you're 28. I've lived in Hull a bit longer than 25 years. But yes, he does have a point. When John and Abby were going to plant River City Church in the east of the city, I prayed about going with them. Lots of people thought I would have been going. But I felt God was saying, no, I want you to stay in Jubilee. When we were considering planting into North Hull, I started praying around that area, again saying, God, do you want me to go? Do you want me to move house and live in this area to be spreading the good news here? But as I prayed, I felt God was saying, no, I want you in Jubilee. Then it gets a bit more difficult. Steve and Joe were moving to Birmingham to plant churches there, very close friends. I did pray a little bit about it, but you know, I I didn't want to go to Birmingham (laughs) until I visited them and discovered what an amazing city it was. And each time I've gone, I've been saying, God, can I come to Birmingham? Guess what? So far, God's still saying no. Although I'm aware this is a bit of a risky thing to preach about. Last year, we had a Regions Beyond Leadership Conference up in Durham. And as I was getting ready to go, I felt God asking me to pack my passport. So I obeyed, I got it out. And it's a bit scary. Moving 
Moving to Hull, you know, maybe going down Holderness Road or North Hull, that's one thing. Moving out of the country, that's something else. Dan teased me, he said, you do know you don't need your passport to go to Durham. But on the way back, he said to me, do you know why you had to take your passport? And I replied that I thought God was asking me if I was willing to go. If I was willing to leave this city that I love so much. That was really, really hard. Lots of tears, hard prayers. But was Jesus my saviour and Lord, or was he my saviour and I was living my life? At the start of this month, Dan said, it is never a case of if God calls us, but when. God's call to you may be to go and be reconciled with a family member so you can share your faith with them. It may be to go the extra mile at work and show kindness and patience with that colleague who you don't really get on that well with. It may be He's asking you to go and invite a friend to the Christmas carol service in City Hall so they can hear the true meaning of Christmas and receive the gift of eternal life this December. Two weeks ago, Phil said as he was preaching, be prepared that as we are involved in apostolic partnership, that's partnering with others in regions beyond, be prepared that God may move you on. Are you prepared for that? He has done that already with many people we have been privileged to release from this church to take the gospel beyond this church to other places, to Harrogate, to Liverpool, to Leicester, to London, to East Hull, to North Hull, to Sheffield, to Birmingham. There's a cost in that. Sometimes there's a financial cost when we continue to support people financially. But far more than that, there is the emotional cost. Saying goodbye to friends, missing the people on your team, changing group dynamics as new people get added to your team. If you're new today, if this is your first Sunday, we want to give you such a warm welcome because we love having new people joining us with the new gifts and the energy and the enthusiasm that they bring. But we shouldn't gloss over the cost of when God asks people to go that we have to release them. But you know, it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it that the gospel can go forth. It's worth it for more people to know Jesus. It's worth it for more people to be turned from despair to hope, for more people to be lifting up their voices in worship to our God. When I felt God give me the green light to leave my previous job so I could come and serve in Jubilee, I was delighted. It was tough. I was to leave a service I was passionate about, a team that I'd developed, people who were actually my close friends. And when I took my letter of resignation into my boss, I thought, I can't just give it to her. We're friends. So I sat down and handed it to her. 
and she read my letter in absolute silence. And she just looked at me stunned. Finally, she asked, are they offering you better pay? And I assured her that they weren't. Um, she could not understand what on earth I was doing. And people may not understand when we obey God, but that mustn't stop us obeying. I read it earlier, but I'm going to read it again, what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Or, as Dan said a few weeks ago, being part of this family of churches is not for those who want a comfortable life. It was great having Brian with us last Sunday. If you weren't here, Brian, we released him from here to Eastall. He went to Northall. He and his family are now in Birmingham. It was great hearing what God is doing through them there. But they need more work for what God has called them to do in the east of the city. Last month, we watched a video from a guy called AJ, whose family are also in Birmingham. And they are establishing work in another area of Birmingham there. And he, he said they're asking God for seven lots of people, families, couples, single people, who can join the work that they are doing. Have you asked God if he wants you to go to Birmingham? Or did you just watch the video? Did you go and give Brian a hug and catch up with him and say, oh yeah, it's great, what's happening? Or have you prayed and said, God, are you asking me to go? It's so easy in our Western culture to focus on the questions first and and raising valid issues like, but I'd need a house and I'd need a job and my children would need a new school. These are all valid questions. But if God calls you to go, he will provide. As Phil and Debbie are developing the work in West Hull, have you asked God if he wants you to go and support them? And use your gifts to serve in the community there around Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh Street. And you know, it's okay to go along and visit their cluster and just get a feel of what's going there to see if you fit in. Just because just you turn up at their cluster or afternoon tea, Phil isn't adding you on a rotor for doing toddler group. It's okay to be pressing doors. Um, I'm praying and saying, God, is this what you've got for me? Just as I said, for many months I was praying around North Hull saying, God, is this what you want? I'm bringing it right back here. God might be asking you to go within Jubilee. Maybe to go to one of the leaders and offer to serve on a Sunday or during the week. It may be simply going and talking to someone that you've never spoken to before. It may be going and asking somebody to go out for coffee. And you know, God doesn't ask you 
to do any of this alone. Earlier, I read the passage in Acts 1 where Jesus promised the disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was power to make disciples and power to go. And you know, that promise still stands. That promise is there for every single one of us today. You know, Caroline started off with, uh, with us singing, Great Big God. Is that a children's song? Well, it's got pretty powerful theology in it, hasn't it? And we said, how amazing, or we sang, how amazing it is to be part of God's amazing plan. Or how great it is to be part of God's amazing plan. Do you know today, if you are a Christian, you are part of God's amazing plan? At the end of the passage in Acts 16, it says, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul received the vision, but it seems that the team together made the decision to go. There was a corporateness in their response because they were in relationship with one another. And before you make any big decisions, seek out someone to talk to, to pray with, maybe a life group leader, maybe someone else in the church that you trust. Because at times it is hard to know, is it my good ideas or is it the Holy Spirit speaking? That's why God puts us in family, so we can support one another, so we can talk together, so we can pray together. If you're able, can you stand, please? I've got two questions for you. And for some, my question is, are you willing to obey? You know God is speaking to you. You know God has got more for you. You know God is saying he wants you to go. Are you willing to obey? And yeah, it might be scary but we have a great big God who holds us in his hands. And further, the question that I've got is, are you willing to pause your own plans and listen? God may be speaking, but if you're not actually listening, you won't hear him. Are you willing for Jesus to be your saviour and your Lord, or is Jesus your saviour and your living your life. Before the band starts to play, I want to pray for us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, will you come now? Will you be speaking, Father God, now, even in the silence? Father, I pray that we will be a people here 
who are willing to listen to your voice. We will be a people who are willing to listen and obey your voice. That when you say go, we will go. When you say stop, we will stop. Father, I pray that people here who are, who are still living their lives, that you will give them the confidence to say, okay, God, I want you to be Lord of my life today. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be in control today. And Father, I want to pray for those here today who know you're calling them, who know that you are saying go. Whether that is simply across the room today or whether it is out from here. Lord, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, you will empower them. You will give them peace. You will give them confidence. And you will not let anything silence your voice in their lives. Holy Spirit, will you come? Yeah, Father, I pray that your voice will be the loud voice that is speaking, the voice that will be above all other voices in people's lives today. For your glory, Lord. Amen.